Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. This week, we have a guest speaker, Walt Heyer, who is the founder of Sex Change Regret Ministries and lived as a transgender for eight years, and then Jesus set him free. Listen and hear his testimony and how we can minister to people inside that lifestyle. Okay, everybody, let's go ahead and find our seats in the conversation, and we'll start, um, we want to start gathering in, come on in from the foyer, those of you who are online, just want to remind you, take a moment, just share, share this, uh, it's an amazing story that Walt is going to share with us this morning, we're going to start with a video uh, in, just a, in just a moment that will give you, it's about a nine minute video, but it's extremely well done, and uh, it'll help give you the foundation of where Walt's story begins. Uh, you and I, we live in a culture. How many know we live in a culture now that is not spreading truth, they're spreading lies? Uh, and I don't know about you, but if I read something in the news, I'm more likely to doubt its truthfulness than I am to accept it. That's why I pay for my news right now. <laughs> I, if you want to be lied to for free, you can do that, but I actually pay for the Epic Times. I love the Epic Times. I don't, you know, I, that's what I do. I read, that's, I pay for that because I want truth. And I would encourage you that uh, we live in a society today where lying and, and keeping with the narrative is more important than keeping the truth. How many know there's a narrative going on in our society right now? And it's not just like, well, Chris has an opinion and they have opinion. No, there's a denial of facts. There's a denial of facts, of, of factual things. And anymore, you, you give your opinion. It's not even opinion. You're trying to give them facts, and you get squashed. And that's what our culture is doing. And the church is the last stand. We are the last stand. And we're going to stand. We're going to push back. <laughs> we're going to keep speaking the truth, declaring the truth, and holding on, and not catering. Even when they cancel us, I'm going to think if they don't cancel us, I'm going to think something's wrong, just so you know. So please share this, um, get this message out there. We're going to take a, a, a moment now and show the video, and then Walt will come up and speak. Let's go ahead and run that video. Hi, I'm Walt Heyer. I started my transgender journey when I was four years old. I struggled with my identity all the way through my life, and I eventually underwent gender reassignment surgery, lived eight years as Laura Jensen until I found the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed and restored my life so that I could give my testimony today. You know, I started my journey uh, in Los Angeles, California, when my dad would drop me off at my grandmother's house. She was a seamstress, and she was making dresses as a way to make a living and decided to make me a purple chiffon evening dress when I was only four years old. And she put me in that dress and she began to affirm and kind of fawn over me and tell me how cute I was as a little girl. And um, that started within me um, confusion about who I was. Why was grandma so excited about seeing me as a girl? Because she never affirmed me as the little boy I was in the little cowboy boots with the tore up jeans and a cowboy hat, which was much more of who I was. I became so 
kind of accustomed to the affirmation that she was giving me. I wanted it more. And so I ended up taking the purple dress home so that I could feel that even when I was at home and grandma wasn't there. And one of the keys to that was, she said, this is our little secret. When I took the dress home, my mother found the dress in the bottom dresser drawer and confronted me. And that ended my ever going back to grandma's house. The story began to go through the family. And when Uncle Fred found out about it, uh, he began to uh, feel that I was fair game to be sexually molested. And so he began molesting me and teasing me and taunting me. And, and my dad was so perplexed by this, what grandma was doing, that he began to exert a lot more discipline on me, thinking that if he was using sort of manly, heavy discipline, that he could sort of mold and shape me into a man. But what the discipline did, because it was so really harsh, really diminished who I was. And so I had these events before I was nine years old, being cross-dressed, being uh, disciplined with a hardwood floor plank and being sexually molested. You can understand that a little boy at that time, really not only is he confused, but wants to escape into something else. And this is where, you know, you use this transgender identity to escape into something that isn't getting abused. I think I was in my mind thought, well, nobody knows about this other person that I'm becoming. I realized that, you know, who is safe to talk to? So I didn't really tell anybody about it, but went on in school to, you know, run in track. I played in football. I did boy things, but there was always the girl in the purple dress in my head that just kept haunting me, really, saying, you really need to change. You're really a girl. You're not a boy. And so there was this tremendous conflict between the, the girl in the purple dress and the boy who was trying to be a boy named Walt. And eventually I was in church and I saw a gal come into church and I told my friend, I said, I'm going to marry her. And so eventually we got married when I was 21 and we had two children. I was married for 17 years. And eventually I went to work for American Honda Motor Company and became a top executive. But during that time, I was struggling so deeply with my gender identity because of what happened when I was a kid. It never went away. No matter how successful I was, I was struggling. And so I went to a transgender specialist who diagnosed me with gender dysphoria, administered hormones to me, talked to my wife at the time about it. We ended up getting divorced in 1983 in April. I underwent gender reassignment surgery and, and assumed the identity of Laura Jensen. I lived that way for eight years. You know, right after I had the surgery and laying in the bed, and there's sort of this funny thing that you just go through and you think, wow, the weight of the world has now been lifted off of me. So you're in the hospital for four days recovering from the surgery. You have these feelings, you leave the hospital, you get on the plane. But I, I wondered at the time, you know, can surgery really, really change you? It doesn't eliminate being sexually abused. It doesn't eliminate the cross-dressing. It doesn't eliminate the physical abuse. I think there's a period of time where you're totally convinced that it worked and you're absolutely positive you did the right thing. But there's also the creep that comes in that there's times when you have that quiet moment with yourself, when no one's around, you're alone, and you begin to realize that, well, you know, maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe this didn't fix what you needed to fix. 
So then I notified Honda about my change. They terminated me and within three months I was homeless and living in a park in Long Beach and a full-blown alcoholic. And from the uh, homeless in the park, I ended up going to AA meetings. I ended up, uh, someone at the meeting took me to their home and I was going to church. And those were my two biggest things in trying to recover from my alcoholism. So I was going to AA meetings sometimes two or three times a day and going to church as often as I could. And so this one church that I went to in the Bay Area, I was kind of fearful about going to church as Laura, but I went in and talked to the pastor there. And I said, you know, um, I'm Laura. I used to be Walt. I'll be honest with you. I just want to know, are you going to try to change me back to Walt? And he said, no. He said, as a pastor, he said, my job is to love you. If you're going to change back to Walt, that's God's job, not mine. And so he allowed me to go to church. He allowed me to be in groups, and they had a recovery ministry there. So I was seeing counselors. And so as I began to go um, seek out help for this, I found that I'd had a, a, not multiple personalities, but what they call a dissociative disorder, which today we've learned that probably upwards of 30% of the people who identify as transgender actually have dissociative disorders, quite common. The other thing is body dysmorphia and obsessive compulsive disorders and other disorders that are present also with the diagnosis of gender dysphoria. So when I got treated for this and began to identify with it, going to therapy as many as once a day, every day for weeks, even months. And when I finally got to my fourth step and I had all these things written down on a piece of paper about being cross-dressed and being molested and we'd gone through them. It took over two hours, one by one. We're praying about him. He's dealing with them as best we can and trying to really turn them over to the Lord and get rid of them. And so when we were done, we went outside and he put a match to the corner of the paper and let it begin to burn. The gentle breeze took the flames in the paper and they just disappeared. And then he patted me on the shoulder. He says, okay, now it's time to go pray. An image came to me in that prayer and it was the Lord Jesus Christ and he was reaching down toward me and I began to look at where his hands were and there was a little baby there and I realized that that little baby was me and he grabbed the little baby and pulled it into his arms and then he turned and spoke to me and he says you are now safe with me forever and I realized at that very moment that the Lord came to hold me and to redeem my life because he said, you are now safe with me forever. And that's where I was rescued by Jesus Christ from my transgender life. So then I began to live out my life as Walt. The Lord wants the transgender community in the church. The Lord wants them in the pews. The Lord wants them to hear the truth that something happened to them that was horrible and that they had every right to feel the feelings they were feeling. But the only way to really escape pain in your life is turn it over to Jesus Christ. Allow him to have the pain so that he can restore you so that the pain goes away. And so church leaders need to have their arms open to them and welcome them in, but listen to their stories. You know, it's never too late to be redeemed and restored by Jesus Christ. You can do that on your deathbed. It's never, ever 
too late. You're never too old, and it's never too late. Put yourself in front of Jesus Christ. Admit you're wrong. Turn your life over to him and allow him to transform you back to who he made you to be. Thank you. Thank you and good morning. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Chris contacted me and asked me to come and share my testimony. So this is the most exciting thing that my wife and I do. We get to share what redemption and restoration is all about. And it also shows us, doesn't it, that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive for each one of you. I am not the only one struggling. There's somebody out here that's struggling, maybe not with my stuff, but he's coming for you today. He's here for you today. Don't just look at this as a story about me. This is a story about you and your relationship with Christ. Because that's what this is really about. The message this morning is clear, is it not? That when you take a young boy and put him in a dress, it's child abuse. Let's call it what it is. It causes children to be disturbed by what's going on. Our caretakers, family members, neighbors, adults, what they're doing to children today is a crime. It's a crime. I'm here 76 years later. I'm 80 years old. 76 years later, talking about what my grandma did to me when I was four. Is that right? No. Don't let this happen to anybody you know. We don't affirm people in the wrong gender. We don't celebrate it. That is not the way to glorify Jesus Christ. It's clear there's only one male and one female, and there isn't a whole bunch of other genders. I don't care what Facebook says. <laughs> genders is not a vending machine. You don't get to go up and pull a handle and select something. Sorry. I wish I was six foot four and weighed 260 pounds. Guess what? I don't. Get a grip. And understand, Jesus made you for a purpose. He made you perfect. And he's here for you each and every day. So when my grandma did that to me, it started this series of events. My dad hit me with a hardwood floor plank. My uncle sexually molested me. All before I was nine years old. Now, what does a nine-year-old boy know to do in 1949, when nobody has any information about transgenderism, dysphoria, all that other stuff, right? I'm on my own. I couldn't tell anybody what was going on. I just knew I was hurting inside. I remember one day when my mom and dad and everybody were, it's a Friday night, I can remember it so clearly. They were getting ready to gather us up and get in the old Ford four-door, 41 Ford four-door, and go to dinner. And I started crying. 
All that stuff that had happened to me was just welling up in me. I could not stop crying. My dad got so angry that he couldn't get me to stop crying. He started yelling at me. Well, it doesn't really work to yell at somebody who's in distress. They eventually left me at the house when I was about 9 or 10 years old while I was crying. I cried all night long. Why? Because someone put me in a purple dress, someone hit me with a hardwood floor plank, and my uncle sexually molested me, and I had no way to deal with it. I had no coping skills. I'm 10 years old. We should not be doing these things to children, and today in our ministry work, because we reach 180 countries around the world, we get emails from all of these countries from everywhere. And you know how their stories start out when they write me about their regret of having gone through this surgery and want help for me to come back and be the person that God made them to be? Something happened in their childhood. Every last one of them. Nobody is born transgender. It's a childhood developmental disorder caused by adults who don't understand the consequences of what they're doing to young children. I am sickened by it. And not enough people are sickened by it. When we start celebrating parents who have a transgender kid as if they are more enlightened than you are because you don't have a transgender kid. There's something seriously wrong. Because of all these things that happened in my life, by the time I was 13, I took on this secret identity because I couldn't share it in, with anybody. And I, I secretly called myself Crystal. I don't know where that came from. It was just my way of coping, I suppose. We all look for ways to cope with things. So Crystal eventually became Crystal West. All these are progressive things that happen to me when I'm going through this. Later on in life, I'm in my teens. I'm playing on the football team. I'm the kicker. I was actually a very good kicker. I ran track because I'm a little squirt, and I was fairly fast. And uh, in fact, in California, I was probably one of the top fastest uh, runners of the 660-yard dash. Um, and I was probably running from all my fears and all the hurts that I had. I wanted to find something that I could hang on to. Believe it or not, I tried basketball for a while. That was a failure. <laughs> but it was interesting. When I was in school, you see, one of the misconceptions about people who identify as transgender and go through this is that they must be homosexual. I was not homosexual. I do not understand homosexuality. I never was. I, was ne I never had the feelings uh, about wanting to be with a man. I was a heterosexual man who had been sexually abused, had been physically abused, and emotionally abused. But I wasn't a homosexual. 
So in school, I had a girlfriend. Her name was Lola Joy Phipps. She was hot. Everybody was jealous of this little squirt right here. How did he do that? You know, she was cool. And by the time I was 16, I was kind of a car guy. And so I ended up with a 1934 Ford with a chop top, candy apple red, Corvette engine. I was the guy. <laughs> Not only that, when I came to school in that 34 Ford, there was a parking place, the best parking place at the school. I was the only one that could park there. No one would let anybody park. They'd, they would actually push the car out of the way. That's Walt's place. Because you could see it from everywhere in the school. And it was one fast machine. And so I, I was working three jobs. I was one of these kind of people, I, I, my energy, I just had too much of it. So I'm working all kinds of jobs. Delivering newspapers, cutting grass, working at a gas station. All at the same time. Riding my bike sometimes before I got a car to those jobs, gathering money. I eventually bought a 1958 Chevy three, uh, 348 engine with three carburetors on it. And at the same time, I had the 34 Ford. Now everybody's going like, what did this guy do? Is he a drug dealer? Where's he getting his money? I had money stuck in my socks that I had saved. I was very frugal. So that was kind of my life. But inside, I was broken. It all looked good outside. Inside was an absolute mess. How many of you are like that today? You see, many of us look really good. And we can put it on for a while. But it's going to catch up to you. And that's why we need to come to Jesus. So through this process, um, I, you know, Joy, I told Joy about the struggle I was having. I thought, well, it was finally time to tell someone about what I was dealing with. And that relationship ended in a heartbeat. Scared the daylights out of her. And again, I started weeping because I didn't know who I could talk to. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know exactly where it came from. At that time, I didn't understand that when Grandma cross-dressed me that she was causing emotional and psychological child abuse. I had no idea. So in my effort to try to sort of make my life okay, I started going to school at Pasadena City College and studying drafting because that was kind of a big thing. All the companies back in California were doing electronic stuff and there was all kinds of jobs available. So by the time I was 18, I was working as a draftsman. Well, I actually started out delivering blueprints in this company that uh, was owned by Louis M. It was called Libroscope. And Libroscope was working on the Polaris missile system at the time. And I was delivering blueprints around. I was making maybe 80 cents a, do a do or dollar an hour, something like that. 
And I went to one of the engineers and I said, how do I get a job as a draftsman? He says, you go to school and get an A grade in drafting and I'll put you on the table and give you a job where you can make a buck 25. So I went and got that certificate, brought it into, his name was Hardtack. I said, Hardtack, there it is. He said, you're on the table. So I started drafting. I went from working at Libriscope to North American Aviation. I worked in the aerospace industry until I became an associate design engineer on the Apollo space missions working on cryogenics. And I went and took that education and knowledge and went to work for American Honda Motor Company. And I was one of the small team of people that developed the actor division for American Honda. I was a national operations manager in charge of all the ports of entry in the United States, Puerto Rico, and Hawaii. I had over 200 people under my direction. I, I actually contract, negotiated contracts near almost $30 million a year. I had a good job. I had two parking places. I had a car, free gas. Unlimited expense account. But I still had a purple dress, a hardwood floor plank, and sexual abuse that I hadn't dealt with. I was starting to use alcohol to cope and still trying to hold this family together because by this time now, I'm married with two children. Struggling with alcoholism on a daily basis. So bad sometimes that I didn't make it home for dinner. So bad on one occasion I was driving down the 101 freeway in Los Angeles and I kept hearing this noise. What was that? I didn't know what it was. I got home, pulled the car in the garage, and I got out, and I'd hit the chain link fence in the center divider so many times that I opened up a gaping hole and the steel was no longer on my car. I was on the edge. Dealing with these things, I thought, you know what? I need to go and get some help from a specialist. I had the money. So I went to this doctor in San Francisco on Union Street, and he was known at the time, his name was Dr. Paul Walker. He was internationally known as the number one person who dealt with gender dysphoria, transgenderism, all those issues that were coming about. This was in 1981. I wanted the best, somebody who really knew what this was about. I went to him and told him my story. When I went to that session with Dr. Walker at his Union Street office, I was drunk. He approved me for sex change surgery. Now you think that's startling. They do it today. This is what they do today. 
I work with people every single day who say they go to a gender clinic and they say they have, they don't even get diagnosed. They just say, I have gender dysphoria. And they say, go down the hall, get your hormones. There's a video, tell you how to take the hormones and you're on your way. Do not believe that these people are counseled. That's false. There might be a counselor there, but I can assure you as well as I'm standing here, anyone who goes into a gender clinic today is going to get diagnosed with gender dysphoria. I, I have said you could place a rock in front of one of those people and say, well, that thing's got gender dysphoria. By golly, it needs hormones and surgery. <laughs> I mean, that's just how foolish it is. You cannot avoid getting a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. I know of a mother who told me they diagnosed his, her 22-year-old son who, had, who was on disability because he had had brain surgery and his cognitive skills are greatly diminished. And they gave him hormone therapy because he said he was a transgender. She's outraged. We are living in a time where I was on the radio here about two weeks ago, and I said, you know, I'm kind of fed up with what they're doing to our nation and what they're doing to our children. And it came to me when I'm talking to this guy on the radio. I said, you know, if they can't kill him in the womb, they're going to change their gender when they get out. Where does this come from? they got to hate the people. God loves us all. So as I went through this process in 1983, my wife at the time, after 17 years of marriage, divorced me because I was opting to do the surgery in 1983. My daughter said some things to me. She was in her teens, and she refused to ever... She didn't speak to me for eight years. My son was probably the most brilliant statement of all. Looked at me and said, Dad, I know who you are on the inside. This other stuff that's on the outside ain't real. See, he knew. We all know. But I opted to do it because I'd been emotionally broken, and no one in this course of time said, Walt, we need to sit down and deal with the sexual abuse, which is a crime. We need to deal with the physical abuse, which harmed you. We need to deal with the emotional abuse because you're injured. I have come to the conclusion now, and I've been working with individuals as young as 13 years old, and what I realize today is nobody's trying to become someone else. They're trying to destroy and erase who they are. This is about self-destruction. You see, you can't become this other person they're trying to become. 
until such time as you erase who you really are. You want to know the truth? When I went and was detransitioning, that's the term for coming back, I went to the doctors. I had to go back to the courts to get my birth record changed again because it said Laura Jensen female. I wanted to come back to Walt Heyer male. I challenged the surgeon and Dr. Walker both to testify in court. California Superior Court, San Mateo, California. Can you change a man into a woman? I want you to write the document, and I want it in court to prove that you can do it. They wrote the document. They both signed it. And they both admitted you can't do it. Not possible. No amount of hormones in the world can change a man into a woman or a woman into a man. No amount of surgery can change a man into a woman or a woman into a man. It is scientifically, biologically, categorically impossible for a man to become a woman. Let's get a grip. It doesn't happen. So the answer to the question is, no, you can't do it. Why are we caught up in this? Well, because there's a ton of money out there that the LGBT and others, and there are many people who think this is a good thing. I don't count myself among them. Because after I came out and realized that the Lord had redeemed my life, I knew that I wanted to do just what I'm doing today. This was what the Lord called me to do that day, that he came to redeem my life. And it's so you understand that people don't change and that absolutely everyone needs to come to a place on their knees and admit they're wrong. Doctors don't change genders. God doesn't assign, you hear that, assign your gender at birth? No, no, no. No, 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 sorry. It's at conception. Boom. When the sperm hits the egg, game is done. Sorry, it's over. Hello. Get a grip. And nothing a surgeon can do, hormones can do, or the idea that you could just verbally articulate, I'm a woman, it's all false. And they want to shut me up. They want to cancel me. I've been canceled. Jesus hasn't canceled me. Jesus is not going to cancel me. Let all them other people cancel me all they want. I actually kind of, shh, don't tell anybody. When they cancel me, my book sales go out the window. So I, I pray every day for cancellation. 
please, just cancel the heck out of me. Man, I'm telling you, ten, ten, tenfold. Because they go, who is that old man? And they start looking it up and go, oh, maybe I should buy one of his books. Otherwise, they wouldn't know who I was. And they wanted me, when they canceled me, YouTube or whatever it was, wanted me to give a, a, a video on, and apologize. So I gave them a video that just reinforced what I said. Because you know what they didn't like? It's a childhood developmental disorder. They hated that. They said, no, you can't say that. I said, yeah, I can. I'm going to say it all day long. It's a childhood developmental disorder. Hello. Because that's where it starts. Now, I'll have to, I'll have to confess today that many of our teen kids, it didn't start in, in childhood. They just get online and go to these websites and they get into these chat groups and they go, gee, maybe I should just identify as a different gender. It's just an idea. And in that situation, what we know today is that's called a social contagion. In other words, it's sort of like everybody getting together and doing this thing. So there is some of that going on. And then there's some people that just want to disturb the norm. Maybe they don't have any kind of disorder. They just, just are anti-norm. Let's just shake it up. We've had people say we did it just because I wasn't being noticed and no one would look at me. Well, if a man dresses up in a dress and you see him going down the street, you're going to get looked at. Because some of them don't look so good. I mean, we were in Australia one time doing a film, and my wife and I are standing together, and everyone went by, and I'm telling you, I just spun around like this, and are you kidding me? Hello, Lord save him. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. But this is where they all need to be. And when I went, the first time I went to church as Laura, I was actually trying to find my way back. I mean, I wasn't going to openly admit that to people because that was too hard for me to do. But when I went to that church that morning, and in fact, my counselor at the time knew the pastor, and he called the pastor, just like you, Chris, said, hey, Chris, you know, Walt's going to come, but he's actually Laura. Just welcome him. You're my buddy. Take care of him, right? So I go to the church. I'm dressed up as Laura, sign in the book as Laura, give my address, phone number, all that stuff, sit down. Pastor gives the message. It's all done. I go out and have the donuts. Do you have donuts here, by the way? It's all done. <laughs> donuts and coffee. And then I get in my car and go home. And I'm thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. They kind of like me. Nobody, nobody threw eggs at me. I didn't get tripped, knocked over anything. And so that afternoon, I saw the pastor coming down my walkway. I go, man, he is here to welcome me to the church. I am like stoked. <laughs> So he knocks on the door, and I fling the door open. I got a big smile. He steps in, and he said, we don't want your kind in our church. I got this huge smile on my face because I actually thought it was pretty funny. I said, really? What kind do you want? <laughs> right? Man, if you don't want the broken people in church, you better shut the door.
If you can find some plywood at Home Depot, board up the doors and windows because you don't need a church if that's who you're looking for. So we are excited about broken people because Jesus can save them. And if you think you're not broken, stick around. Because you will figure out you are really broken. Every one of us. And I'm working with three people just like myself right now. One from Canada, two from the U.S., two, two men who became women, one gal who became a man. They're in distress. In Canada, the person in Canada says it's actually against the law for him to tell anyone that he has regret. He went to two psych psychiatric counselors. He wrote to me last night. And they said, no, no, no. This is 100% successful. There are no regrets. And he's going, well, what? I'm the only one? He goes, no, no. You just haven't worked through this long enough. See, there's denial about even regret existing. They want to deny also that Jesus Christ has the power to redeem the life of these individuals, right? But it's happening all the time. We are, as Chris said, the last stand. If they toppled the church, game over. We got to stand up and not shut up. Be bold. And we got to love the heck out of them. They're messy people. They are really messy people. But that's what Jesus is all about. We're all messy. Thank God for messy people. So the message then is no one can change your gender. A man can put on a dress and go, ha ha, I'm a woman. But he's not. A woman can take male hormones and grow a beard and look very much like a man, but it's a masquerade. And we know they're hurting inside. I get to speak to these individuals. One gal that I worked with and my wife and I had lunch with, we talked to her. Young thing. Beautiful girl. What do you think caused you to do this, Sydney? My dad molested me for five years and I didn't want to be who I was. I didn't want to be who I was. See, all of these individuals who are struggling with this just like I did, I didn't want to be the guy who was put in the purple dress. I didn't want to get hit with a hardwood floor plank. And I didn't want my scuzzy uncle sexually molesting me. But he did. Kids don't have the power to control adults. They're powerless. 
But when you come out the other side, we're not powerless to get on our knees. Jesus, I'm broken. My life is in the wrong place. Come to me and redeem me. And if you do what I did, in all the trouble that I had, he will come for you too. But not before you confess your wrong, admit you made a mistake, and admit the only way you're going to come out of it is through the power and grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. We're going to take a moment now to invest into this ministry that God's brought before us today. And I want to just say that everything that you give this morning will go directly to the ministry of Walt Heyer, helping this continue to go throughout the world. Because there are governments right now that need to hear this message. There are doctors that need to hear this message uh, we had our state senator here yesterday hearing this because right now there's governments, there's leaders, there's governors, presidents making decisions about what to do, and they have not been told the truth. And we, as the church, have the opportunity this morning to give and help make a difference. Isn't that exciting that we get to do that? So get your checkbooks out or whatever you, however you want to give. Anything you give on the kiosk will go toward this ministry. Just make your checks out to Gateway Church, and we're going to just take a moment, and I want to pray, and then I want those of you, I want to just an opportunity to minister to your spirit, minister to your soul. Um, some of you, as we, we heard this today, we have family members, we have friends, we have uh, neighbors that their children are, are confused, and they need this message, and we need to stand up on our knees. We need to stand up on our knees which that means we allow the message to conform us and change us, not about being right, but being merciful and compassionate with the power of the truth. So go ahead and get your check ready, and let's stand together. We have buckets up here. If you want to go to the uh, kiosk, you can do that. Walt and uh, Casey, they have a ton of books back there that they would love to get in your hands, DVDs that can teach you and train you more about what needs to happen and some just great information. So as you, as you prepare your check, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give this morning. Thank you for the joy we have to give this morning. And we thank you as we give, Lord, that you will help catapult the truth throughout the world. And we bless them now in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and step up and give at this, at this time. Now, if some of our um, prayer teams would come up at this time, maybe Ernie and Char and Kim and um, Sandy and just a few of our prayer leaders just to come on up. And uh, this morning you have heard a message 
about your identity, about who you are, if there are hurts that you have in your life that you know are holding you back tonight, there's childhood trauma that has happened to you that you just need prayer for, you need healing, we want to just open up the altars right now for those of you who would just like to receive some prayer, okay, some safe place to deal with the traumas that we've dealt with. How many have how many put the fun and dysfunction in their home, right? We've been raised, we've all been raised with some challenges. And don't leave here today without receiving some prayer because um, all of us have faced uh, different things, whether it's uh, abuse, whether it's just uh, abandonment. It's, it doesn't have to be something that's you know, terribly traumatic, but it could have been. But a lot of times it's just, I was forgotten, I wasn't noticed, and I need healing, I need prayer. Would you pray with me through that? So I want to pray for you now. Just bow your heads for a second. Father, I thank you. Lord, we don't want to leave today carrying anything that you want to heal because we thank you today that Jesus is truth. He's the way. He's life. And Lord, every hurting soul here this morning, that you would reveal yourself to them, Lord, and that you would make yourself known. And God, that you would come in power and in might and bring life right now to the hurting. And so I thank you right now by your spirit that you would move upon us, heal us, deliver us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's give God a shout of praise this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, if you need this prayer this morning, come on, let, let, let our prayer team pray for you and minister to you. We're going to hang around the altar for a little bit and see what God does. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.